Welcome to the Plutonomics Podcast with Lori Cammie and Barnaby Levin. The word Plutonomics means the study of wealth. It's our mission to educate, to help clients think about their goals and how they might benefit from working with an advisor to achieve them. But more importantly, it's to make sure our listeners understand both the pros and cons of any issue so they can make informed decisions and increase the odds of finding the right answer for them. You see, it's not who's right or wrong, but knowing there are no disinterested parties or unbiased opinions and that where you sit depends on where you stand. The challenge to making good decisions is to start by questioning one's assumptions and to break free of our prejudices because the truth usually lies somewhere in between. There are always two sides to every issue, both of which have merit. In our last podcast, Lori and I agreed that other than war, which is a binary event, and therefore almost impossible to plan for as portfolio managers, the biggest risk facing our country is the battle between the haves and have-nots. We pointed out how Gen Z, which will number more than 2.5 billion on a global basis by 2026, and will account for 40% of all consumers, is already challenging today's leaders on everything from climate change to the redistribution of wealth. But more ominously, whether because of the influence of TikTok or, unbeknownst to many, so many of our schools, they've been souring on democracy and on America itself. Combined with the rise in crime and the proliferation of demonstrations that are increasingly prone to violence, it feels unsettling, as if something's about to break. In addition, given the way in which 40,000 members of the 145,000 United Auto Workers were able to bring production at Ford, GM, and Stellantis, which between them have more than 600,000 employees, to their knees, unions are on the rise and getting vocal. Well, you've touched on several ideas, Barnaby, on Gen Z as an important consumer, for example, and of course, unions, and how either one or both might prove a destabilizing economic influence. And as you suggest, some of the demonstrations in recent years have rivaled even those of the Vietnam era. So let's step back a moment, give some historical perspective. The resurgence of organized labor has been many years in the making. Labor unions were originally formed to protect workers' rights and advance their interests, negotiating with employers through a process known as collective bargaining. They were instrumental in ending the practice of child labor, creating safer working conditions, and providing many other benefits from health care to a five-day work week but they trace their origins back to the 18th century Industrial Revolution in Europe. In the U.S., their power in numbers reached their peak in the 1940s and 50s, culminating when the AFL and CIO merged in 1955. And yet, as you suggested, a recent Gallup poll on August 30th of 2022 found that 71% of Americans now support unions. And yet... Less than 10% of them are actually members of one. In its earliest forms, the labor movement was meant to prevent exploitation. 
inspired by the concept of a just society and was, in fact, based on many of the ideals of the American Revolution, including the notion of social equality and the right a person should have to benefit from the fruits of their own honest labor. But in many ways, it's become about us versus them, where management is the enemy. And their leader's mission, like Sean Fain at the UAW, is to defeat the evil empire. The reality is, while unions do benefit some workers, they harm plenty of others. And the main victims, unfortunately, are often the poor and low-skilled folks whose jobs are likely to be outsourced or cut back once the dust settles. By raising the minimum wage, for example, for fast food or agricultural workers, it adds hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, to the cost of food and other necessities each year. Well, some of that has to do with inflation, of course. But management certainly hasn't helped their own cause. After asking workers to sacrifice back in 2008, when GM was forced into bankruptcy and needed a government bailout to survive, the total compensation, that the base bonus and stock for then-CEO Rick Wagner, was $14.9 million. The package today for the current CEO, Mary Barra, as of last year, was more than twice that at $29 million. And according to another Gallup poll, this one on job satisfaction, 24% of union members are finding themselves actively disengaged at work, perhaps for this reason and others, compared to only 17% for non-union. That, according to Gallup, suggests they're not just unhappy at work, they're resentful. Again, Part of it may be because unions tend to concentrate on some of the tougher jobs in frontline and production work that can be more hazardous. Oh, you mean like teachers or actors? No, like the Teamsters or the International Longshoremen's Association. I know you're teasing, but the huge divide when it comes to compensation is just undeniable. And in the public sector, when people see profits soaring as companies cut costs, outsource, or understandably move aggressively into things like automation, workers can't help but fear for their own security. And they're looking for ways to protect themselves in this fast-changing world of ours. The wage disparity simply aggravates the battle between the haves and have-nots we've been talking about. And I'm just not sure what needs to be done about it so people can achieve a basic minimum standard of living. And this disparity narrows, at least to some degree. On that point, I totally agree. Where you sit always depends on where you stand. Felix Rohatton was an investment banker who spent most of his career at Lazard Frere, but who famously helped rescue New York City from insolvency in the 70s. And he once said, a democracy to survive must, at the very least, appear to be fair. But talk about timing, Lori. Here I've been thinking how bold and confrontational unions are becoming. Like in Sweden, a country where 90% of their workers are members of unions, like IF Matal. The latter has banded together with a bunch of other unions and is now threatening to shut down Tesla's business there if they don't join. 
yet Tesla only has 130 employees in the entire country, and none of them asked to unionize in the first place. In fact, according to an interview last week, Tesla employees are frustrated because, as one said, Tesla's the best employer I've ever had. Well, just the other day, news crossed the tape about two Wells Fargo offices, one in New Mexico and another in Alaska, who notified the National Labor Relations Board that they're planning to hold elections to unionize. We'd be foolish, said Jesse McCool, a compliance officer of theirs in St. Louis, not to strike while the iron's hot. I mean, is that the best they can come up with? Well, it is wild, especially in light of what Ron Barron recently said about business models that may be reinforcing bad behavior. Think how more and more we're becoming a transactional, impulse-driven society with most of our lives tethered to our smartphones that offer endless means of distraction. Our attention spans have shrunk and companies have perhaps made it too easy to act on our impulses when everything's a swipe or a click away, especially when young people or most people are getting most of their news on social media from totally unverified anonymous sources that are pushed by mysterious algorithms that nobody seems to understand. In fact, according to Pew Research, in 2009, only 9% of young people age 18 to 29 got their news from TikTok. By 2021, that number had doubled to 18, and today, it's 32%. But if all of this is true, how do we invest in a world that's filled with anger, impulsive behavior, and a growing divide? Well, for the moment, the market only seems to care about profits and the outlook for next quarter or whether interest rates will rise or fall. But if they don't fall soon, that divide will likely grow wider as young people already can't afford to own a home as it is. And according to a Fidelity study, Americans are beginning to tap their retirement savings to cover housing and medical bills. Well, we've been saying how one can invest in private credit, for example, in funds that specialize in lending to small businesses at a time when community and regional bank balance sheets are increasingly stressed by non-performing commercial loans that are beginning to reset at significantly higher rates when they're finding it's less costly to hand back the property to the bank and simply walk away. We can invest in the creators and beneficiaries of artificial intelligence, machine learning, and robotics that make people and companies more productive at lower cost. And we can take advantage of today's higher rates by finally buying short and intermediate-term treasuries or high-grade corporate bonds to lock in yields of 5% or more on a low or relatively risk-free basis. That's true. We can invest in companies providing essential services in healthier food and in innovation and transportation, including space travel and cleaner vehicles. And given some of these growing global conflicts, in cybersecurity and defense. And for those with children who are working and thinking about going back to school themselves, consider a 529 plan, which in some states offer a tax deduction and where the money, if used for higher education, can grow federally tax-free forever. We know younger people, like Gen Z, would prefer to live for today and experience life instead of saving. 
think of the power of compounding that we've spoken about on so many occasions, knowing that at different stages in life, our needs and priorities will change. And some of the things that you'll want later, like owning a home, having children yourselves, or retiring early, will take money and you'll need time to accumulate wealth. A lot of time and a lot of money. Well, please join us next week as we continue to delve even deeper into this looming battle between the haves and have-nots. It's a big topic. Until then, thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and if you did, you'll share it with friends, family, and associates so they can enjoy it too. This is Barnaby Levin and Lori Cammy for the Plutonomics Podcast, signing off. LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth are a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC, and advisory services through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk and there is no guarantee that the process or investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and any investment opportunities referenced may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced are from sources believed to be reliable and any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Neither LK Wealth and Asset Management, LCK Wealth, or Hightower shall in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data or for statements or errors contained in or admissions from the obtained data and information referenced. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced and such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.